Good morning, everyone. Hello. Yes. What's up, bruv? All right. <clears throat> so, as I said earlier, last week we began a series based on the Advent season. Um, last week we had um, our very own Wayne Harris who preached for us on the theme of hope. Um, this Sunday, we continue our Advent series, and we have um, a special guest with us who's going to be speaking on the topic of peace. Um, he goes by the name of Kyle Waters. Um, he's the loveliest man you can ever meet. Um, he's the pastor of um, a church out in Tia Santa. Oh. I, I like gardens, yes, wherever that is, yes, <laughs> um, called Mission Trails. He's a dear friend of not just my wife and I and our family, we love his family, but he's also a dear friend of King's Cross Church, and he's been, a, you know, he's been so helpful. As a church, what, we're six years old, and at the very beginnings of our church, Kyle was an amazing resource of wisdom. And he allowed us to share his facilities for events that we had. And so he's going to introduce himself and his family. And so without further ado, let's put our hands together for Kyle Waters, everyone. Kyle Waters. Good morning, King's Cross Church. As was said, I go by the name Kyle Walters. <laughs> and uh, I do serve as one of the pastors at Mission Trails Church. Um, if you don't venture east of the five very much, you know, just keep going east on the eight a little bit, uh, turn left on Waring and you'll run into where we are, uh, close to San Diego state. Our church started in 2009 and, uh, we met in portable spaces until 2015. And we had a very similar experience to what you guys are going through where you connected with another church and moved into another facility. So that happened for us in 2015. So I have been thinking about you and praying for you uh, in this time of transition. Uh, it's joyful, and it's like moving into a new house. It's a little stressful at the same time, but I'm just grateful for God's provision. Um, two of your pastors, Obed and Dan, and their families have become very special to us, to my family uh, they're really an encouragement in our lives, and they're a real gift to us. Um, I am married to my best friend, Carly. She's actually in the cry room over there with one of our kids and another little kiddo. We have been married for 17 years, and I know, yeah, that's right. She looks younger and more beautiful than the day we got married, and me, I gained what they call sympathy weight for each of the pregnancies that she had, all four, and it has just stuck around. Um, we have four kids, two in high school, two in middle school, nobody with a driver's license yet, so we're busy taking people around everywhere, um, but we love fighting to have family dinner together and movie nights and all those connections, um, and nothing brings us more joy than watching our kids develop the passions they have, the interests they have, finding how to develop their own walk with Jesus. Uh, that, that's a really sweet time of life. We also, as a family, have the privilege of caring for a foster child. Um, this is our third placement, and we have learned so much about the love of Jesus for us as we get to care for the poor and the overlooked. Uh, it's called us to serve in a way that has stretched us 
And I'm so proud of our kids. I mean, they own this uh, calling and responsibility every bit that we do. And interestingly, in our current placement, um, under the blanket there is the baby. We can't, you know, just put his face up. But um, uh, in this current placement, we actually have the same social worker and case manager as Dan and Serena Boss do with their kiddo. Uh, So that's a pretty special connection. I love Christ's church. And I love God's word. And I can't believe that I get to teach it as part of my job. And I also love Advent. And the discovery of the Advent season was a real gift to me. Uh, I learned to lean into this month-long celebration that helped me shift gears from kind of the crazy, hectic, uh, oh yeah, it's December 24, now Jesus again, Um, but to slow down and let the miracle of Emmanuel keep changing my heart and mind. So if the practice of the month-long reflection of Advent is new to you, I would encourage you, just go deep with it. It's going to bear real fruit in your life. And so if you would allow me the liberty, there are two core passages, actually, that I would like us to look at this morning as we seek to know and experience God's peace. Uh, Philippians chapter 4, 4 through 9, and then Luke chapter 2, 10 through 14. I'm dipping a little bit into something Obed's going to come back to in a couple weeks. But I'd like to ask if we could stand uh, and read these together. I'll read Philippians 4 first and then Luke chapter 2. Philippians 4, 4 through 9. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence... If there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Luke chapter 2, 10 to 14. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was the angel with a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Why don't you take a seat and I'm going to pray for us as we get started. Jesus, would you speak to us out of your word today? Holy Spirit, open our minds our hearts, to see and understand and submit ourselves to you. And would you bring us true lasting peace today? Amen. Now, let me just dip a couple sentences back in Philippians 4. If we'd started at the beginning, we're going to see something very practical, even almost mundane but serious that's going to point us toward peace. And I want to drill down into that because if you'd read the first couple of verses, Paul, the writer, is issuing a challenge to protect the church's unity. 
And he speaks directly to a couple women, Yodia and Syntyche. Now, who knows how you actually pronounce it? Just say it with confidence. If you don't know how to pronounce a Bible word, say it with confidence and it sounds good. And we don't know all the details of a dispute that happened between these women, but one of Paul's main themes in the letter is that they, the church, but especially these ladies, would remain united in Christ and not divided. And it's possible that their argument might have been the reason or one of the reasons that Paul has even written the letter to the Philippians in the first place. And it's a little bit unusual to call out two people by name in a letter that was intended to be read in public, just like we read the scripture out loud here together in the gathering. I mean, you don't put people on blast like that unless it's a really big deal. And it must have been a big deal because Paul brings the most powerful antidote as a cure. He tells these two women to agree in the Lord which literally means be of the same mind in the Lord. And if that is making you think about another passage, Philippians 2 says the same thing, that we have the same mind as Jesus Christ. And so Paul pours all the theological richness of our unity with Christ into the kind of unity that these two women should have to settle their dispute. So essentially, both Yodia and Syntyche need to put the interests of the other before their own and in the Lord drop the quarrel. And it's right after that, that challenge to protect the unity, that Paul moves to how Christians and that church on a broader span, spectrum, should respond to the struggles that they're having living as Christians in their culture. Right? That's, that's a really important aspect underlying all of Philippians, that these Christians were experiencing real difficulty from others, specifically because of their faith in Jesus Christ and their lives lived in obedience to him. And it's with all of that in the background that Paul says how they can experience God's peace. But before I get into that, I just want to ask you to maybe think about yourself for a moment and to consider, is there difficulty you have because of following Jesus in your life? Are you feeling at all discouraged in your faith? Maybe you come this morning with real questions and doubts. You're like, I don't know about all this stuff yet. Maybe life feels disproportionately hard compared to the help or the relief or maybe the lack of it that you thought you would be getting from God. Like, it's really hard and I thought you'd be helping me more out, God. Maybe you're suffering and experiencing trouble and it just doesn't seem like sticking with Jesus is worth it right now. Maybe that is a real thing going through your mind. Maybe you're choosing significant sacrifice in an area of your life, maybe sexually or relationally, and our culture shames you for that. And maybe it's, I don't know, just time to give in and move on. Maybe you're feeling that. Listen to this quote from George Guthrie. I love it. He says, your perseverance in the Christian faith will be in direct proportion to the clarity with which you see who Jesus is and what he has accomplished on our behalf. Philippians 4, 7 says that what we need, what will guard our hearts and our minds is the peace of God. How do you get it? How do you get that peace? How does it come in the midst of all the chaos in our world? And how does it come into the world? And that's where, during Advent, we need to look at what's happening in the incarnation, right? In the the advent, that's what the word means. It means arrival of Jesus Christ as fully God yet fully human. Luke 2.14 
says that the coming of that baby brings peace to those on whom God's favor rests. Now, those couple verses, those five verses in Luke 2, 10 to 14, they may be the most famous of all the Bible passages read at Christmas. And of all of the Christmas passages, verse 14 might be the most famous of all those verses. And within that famous verse of the most famous passage, of the most famous important Christmas words, there's there's this thing here right in the heart of it. It's this word peace. As much confusion as there is about Christianity in our culture and about what Christmas really is, the surprising thing is that most everybody knows this part of it. They know this part of the story, right? Peace on earth. It's on almost all the Christmas cards if people are still sending those. And even if they're just sending like a holiday card, you still have this showing up. And everybody grabs onto this at Christmas time because, you know, in some ways it kind of, the people are selling it, recording artists and politicians and social media influencers. You want peace. Starbucks wants us to, you know, get peace from their coffee in some way. But what is that peace? When Jesus was born, he came to bring peace. I mean, that's what the angels were telling us. But what is that peace? Just what is it that he came to bring? And I want to get to the heart of what the angel said and reported to know what Luke, the gospel writer, tells us that peace means. To know the peace Paul says the Philippian Christians needed in Christ. To understand the peace that Jesus came to bring. And if we're absolutely clear about it, I think that we're going to find that it is uncomfortable. And that's a problem because nobody wants to be uncomfortable at Christmas. Like Christmas is all about feeling good, right? Christmas is about huga. It's about candles. It's about hot tea. Nobody wants to be uncomfortable at Christmas. So let's just try a little experiment this morning, and let's just be a little different. Let's search for clarity, not just coziness at Christmas, and I guarantee you, you will not regret it. So let's start by thinking about what peace on earth is not. The peace on earth that Jesus was born to bring, and the Bible is clear on this, is not primarily political or international peace, what we might call peace between us. Now, there are some Christians who would say that Christianity has made the world safer, better, more peaceable on the whole, and there are other people who would quite strongly disagree with that. But the thing that we can agree on is that to this very day, there is a lot of suffering, there is a lot of heartache, there is a lot of tragedy and conflict going on in our world. It would not be far-fetched to say that of the 2,000 years since Jesus walked the earth, the last 110 since World War II have maybe been the most violent. Therefore, if Luke and the angels meant to say that Jesus Christ was born to get rid of war and disaster right now, then we probably would have a right to say, Jesus, you and your followers have been here 2,000 years and it hasn't worked. But Jesus himself tells us, Luke 21, When you hear of wars, tumults, don't be terrified, for these things must first take place, but the end will not be at once. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. He says, look, it's going to get worse before it gets better. Don't expect immediate international political peace to be the result of my birth. So for now, Christians are to be the most proactive peace seekers on the planet, yes, Matthew 5, 9, one of the Beatitudes, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. But the Christmas story peace that the angels are talking about is more than just 
political, international, between us. What else is peace on earth not? It's also not primarily psychological or internal peace, what you might call peace within us. And maybe you can get past the delayed international peace, but surely he came to bring us spiritually emotional peace, right? Something psychological, something internal. <laughs> Listen to the words of Jesus again, though, Luke 12, and, and, and following, and maybe why don't you try putting this on your Christmas card this year. Uh, verse 51, do you think that I came to give peace on earth? No. This is just, this is just 10, right? 10 chapters after Luke 2, here we are. No, I, I tell you, but rather division. They will be divided, father against son, son against father, mother against daughter, daughter against mother, mother-in-law against their daughter-in-law, daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. Some of you are like, that's exactly what Christmas is like every time at my house. <laughs> Jesus really gets the holidays. And the point is, when Jesus comes into our lives, there will be disturbance. And if there's not, then I think we probably should wonder, like, do I really understand him? Has he really come in? Because we're not going to be wonderfully at peace all the time. He says that first, we'll find that people we used to get along with will actually turn on us. People even as close to you as your family. Or maybe you have experienced that in your own family, and that is about as deep as some heartache can get. Now, to be clear, the Bible does tell us that Christianity gives us deep, unshakable peace, internal peace. I mean, that is what Paul is getting at in Philippians 4 and 7 and following. The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. But the teaching of Jesus shows us that along with that peace comes a tremendous amount of struggle and difficulty and challenge and conflict in your life. When Jesus comes into your life, things get messy. So this peace on earth we're talking about isn't primarily political or psychological. So then what is, is it just a symbolic idea? Generic peace? Pie in the sky peace? No. It's something specific. It is something tangible because the angels told the shepherds peace on earth. Not just a heavenly idea, but something right now, concrete. Jesus came to bring us something specific, something that you get now here in this lived experience. So what is it? Well, here's a couple clues. Clue number one, tucked into the birth story of Jesus is the account of Zechariah, father of John the Baptist, who is struck mute until his baby son can be born because he doesn't believe how God will allow his well beyond childbearing age wife, Elizabeth, to become pregnant. So when Zechariah's speech finally returns, after John's birth, he turns to his baby son and he speaks these prophetic words. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins, to guide our feet into the way of peace. Now, Zechariah here is talking about something specific, and he calls it peace. He says it is the forgiveness of sins. Clue number two, second clue, is in the angel's words to the shepherds. So back to Luke chapter two, glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. I don't know what version of that verse you heard growing up or thought about. Maybe it sounds a little different. Peace on earth, goodwill toward men, right? Right? 
Literally, it can be read peace toward men to whom God has good will. And what it is saying is that there was ill will in the relationship. There was something fundamentally broken. But now there is the possibility of goodwill. And what the Bible is trying to tell us through Zechariah's story in Luke 1 and the angel's words in Luke 2, <coughs> excuse me, is that the peace we're talking about is not just peace between us or peace within us, but that it is peace between God and us. The second line in the great Christmas song, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, is peace on earth and mercy mild, God and sinners reconciled. And that's it right there. What is this peace on earth? It is God and sinners once at war, now at peace, reconciled through mercy. This peace is absolutely real. It is completely objective. It is totally perfect. And it is a peace that you must receive here on earth. You can't receive it later. Look, Christianity absolutely can bring peace between people who are fighting. But that peace is always relative. It's always temporary. And of course, Christianity brings you tremendous peace in your heart, in your inner being. But that too is always partial and relative. We undo that peace really quickly ourselves. If you've gotten a little bit of it, just give yourself a couple weeks, right? Fast. <laughs> but if you want to understand the peace that Luke 2 is talking about, and any peace that Philippians 4, 7 grows out of, peace with God, it's through forgiveness, and it must be gotten here on earth while you're living this life the, the peacemaking and the peace experiencing that we've just been talking about here are both only partial, and both are actually products of the peace with God, which is absolute. The, the church planner and author Paul, he speaks about this in Romans 5. He says in verse 1, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God. Through our Lord Jesus Christ. And then verse 10, later in that chapter, for while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Here's another place that speaks about this piece, Colossians 1. And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him, which can also be translated free from accusation. And that right there, that's the peace de resistance, different kind of peace, but just you know, play on words there. I mean, think about this. Why did Jesus become physical? Why did he get a body? It was to reconcile us, to end this war between us and God to put us at peace with him instead of remaining his enemies. And what is this peace? I mean, we just read about it, that you would be justified in God's sight without blemish, free from accusation. And once you're free from accusation before God, you can't get any freer than that. I mean, you know, you just say to everybody, do your worst. I am free in the place that I needed to be most free. Once you are without blemish through Christ, you can't get any more unblemished. Once you are perfect in his sight, you can't get any more perfect. So this means that this peace with God that you can get 
is absolutely perfect. And the moment that you receive this peace, you are as beautiful and as acceptable in God's sight now as you will be one billion years from now. The core idea that we're talking about is what makes Christianity utterly unique. And you might reject this idea. You might hate this idea of what we're talking about. But you must at least be stunned by the concept of it. To think that God might relate to us that way. That he might offer us that kind of peace. And not only is this completely different from any other religion, but the the average person in a church service this Christmas season probably doesn't understand this fully. Because the average person considers religion as trying harder to do good. And you're hoping that you're being good enough is God's returning a favor to you. And so you feel peace on good days, right? When you're doing good and things are feeling good. And you feel less peace on bad days. But you don't expect perfect peace with God until you get to heaven because you're aware this is kind of a transactional thing. But the heart of Christianity, the gospel says that we can have perfect peace with God. Reconciliation right now on earth. And that it must be received now in this life. Peace on earth, mercy mild, God and sinners reconciled. Here in this room this morning and at Mission Trails Church, uh, just across town, there are two kinds of people. And there's nothing special about you know, this particular room or that room over there. It's true of any group anywhere in the world right now. Group number one. You read that Philippians 4 passage about peace and you think about the Christmas story and you want that international peace and that internal peace without first finding peace with God. Just give me the end result. (laughs) You want the results of the peace without understanding and receiving the cause of the peace. How is it even possible? There are people in any group who have never received this peace with God yet. Group number two are those who have received peace with God, but are not living out of it like it's absolutely and eternally real, right? Those are the only two kinds of people here today, myself included. Even those of us who have found peace with God through Jesus Christ, we're not letting this absolute peace between us and God give us the internal peace that we most need, and we're not letting this absolute peace between us and God turn us into the radical peacemakers that we need to be. So we're really just left with two questions. How do you receive this peace and how do you live out of this peace? And this really is everything that life boils down to. Getting this peace and living out of it. That's it. First of all, the real secret to receiving this peace is that you must admit that you are at war. There is a principle that says you can only receive a gift if you admit that you really need it. This maybe you got from some relative, you know, we always throw grandma under the bus. Maybe it was somebody else that gave you one of those crazy crocheted Christmas sweaters, you know, and then now it's kind of funny and ironic and there's all parties around it, but I remember being a kid and you get something that's like handmade and you're like, oh my gosh, how do I, what do I even say? What does my face look like in this moment? Because it is betraying my deepest, darkest heart, right? Maybe it had a fluffy red Rudolph nose sewn on it and a forced smile, but you didn't really receive it because you didn't feel like you needed it, right? Nobody needs that. Or if you're, if you're a true Chargers fan, I mean, are there any really left? Are there any true Chargers fans? But somebody gave you a Raiders scarf, and you just put it right back in the bag. You're like, I do not need that. No, thank you. 
The reason most people don't have peace with God is they don't believe that they need it. They don't believe that they're at war. They don't see a need for the gift of peace. The Bible says over and over that, that apart from God in our natural state, there's a hostility in us toward God. And the Apostle Paul writes in Romans 8, for the, the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Now, that is one of the most incredible statements in the Bible, one that we don't want to come to terms with. It's saying this, that the most fundamental and natural condition of our hearts toward God is not one of ignorance that we can be educated out of. It is not one of indifference, like, eh, whatever, meh, that we can be motivated out of, but it's actually an attitude, a condition of hostility, and so then our greatest need is reconciliation. Our greatest need is not for more information, it's not for more motivation, it is for reconciliation. Most people don't realize that they're at war. We think we need help from God, we need guidance from God, but not peace with God. But the main problems that you have in your life, me too, is precisely because of that warfare. But in Christ, we see clearly and objectively a God who came into this world, because that's what Christmas means, and allowed the most terrible things to happen to him on the cross, infinitely more than we can imagine. You see, the suffering and the evil in our world is something he hates so much that he was willing to come into our world to be a part of it in order to save us from it. Unless we see God taking on our suffering head on, unless we see that, we will be angry with him for all of the suffering in the world. God, don't you care? Where are you? The natural state of our hearts, that's what it is, apart from him. And if you say you believe in God and you understand who he is, you will either be terrified of him because he's absolutely powerful and you're hostile toward him, or you will see the unfathomable love that he has for you and your spirit will soar to the clouds because of his grace. If it's not one of those two things, then you're probably not seeing him rightly or yourself rightly yet. Jesus Christ came and lived the life that we should have lived and he died the death that we should have died he came and he took our punishment, our penalty. Isaiah 53 captures these incredible truths. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement, the punishment that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. His punishment brings our peace. When you receive his record, what he has done, and you take it on as your own, then you are considered to be scandalously without spot or blemish, utterly at peace with God. You have to receive it. And for some of you, this will be a long process. And for others, it will be more of a thunderbolt moment. But you must receive this peace on earth. And to those who say, I believe this, I've received it, I believe I have peace with God, that is wonderful, absolutely wonderful, but take an honest look at yourself. I think about myself this morning as I speak to you, I tell our congregation, I preach into a mirror every Sunday, what I'm saying to you, I'm saying to myself too, 
Is peace with God the wonder of my life? Do I think about it as often as I can? Do I frame my self-identity with it? Is it the filter through which I see every relationship in my life? To you who are Christians, let me say this. Your problems and my problems come because we have gotten over it somehow. Or maybe we've not worked to understand and apply it and walk in it. And the reason that you probably have trouble forgiving someone is that you've gotten over your peace with God. The reason that you're all twisted up with worry and anxiety may be in part because you've gotten over your peace with God. Don't get over it. Never get over it. Never lose awe and wonder. Here's the last thing. If you do understand this peace with God, then it absolutely does lead to both peacemaking and peace experiencing. The great thing about peace on earth is that we know one day there will absolutely be political peace. There will someday be economic peace. There will be restoration and an end to suffering and to sickness and poverty and warfare. Jesus Christ hates those things. And he's going to come back. There is going to be a second advent. But this time, not as a little baby, but as the recognized and reigning ruler of everything. And he will bring, he will bring peace on earth in every way, did you know that's what the Christmas song, Joy to the World, is actually about? It's actually about the second advent, the final ushering in of peace in every way. This is why Jesus can say, on the one hand, war is never going to stop until I come back. But on the other hand, I want you to do whatever you can to be peacemakers. Because Jesus Christ, at his core, is fundamentally a peacemaker. And he wants us to be like him, to reflect him, to do the sorts of things that he does. Peacemaking is the Lord's work. And so we join him in peacemaking in our families, on the playground, at our workplaces, in nonprofit organizations, with the poor, in international settings, in government and policy, on the largest world stages and in the smallest living room conversations. Because we are motivated by knowing there will be a day when Christ returns and true peace will reign, peace will win, and it starts with peace with God today. And so I want to ask you, have you received that peace, and are you living out of that peace as the reference point for your identity and your future hope? Listen to these verses again. The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace to men on whom his favor rests. Let's pray together. Lord, I want to ask that you would show us the condition of our hearts today. And how is it that we stand before you? Have we made peace? Have we received the peace that you made with us by the work of Jesus Christ on our behalf in our place have we submitted ourselves to that and said, we, apart from you, stand in rebellion, brokenness, need? The greatest Christmas gift you will ever receive is to receive what Christ did for you. And we also should ask ourselves, if that's been true of us, are we living out of that peace as the most fundamental reality 
of who we are, who you are, what our future is. And so for my brothers and sisters who are yours today, I pray that they would experience your peace and think about your peace and want to know your peace and remember it and out of the fullness of that heart, live and experience and give. I pray that we would welcome the disruption that you bring into our lives because it's for our good. You strip away the things that will not last and the things that compete in our hearts for your love and attention. So I pray we would be open to the work that you want to do in our lives this Advent. Thank you, Jesus Christ, that you have made peace between us and God. In your name we pray, amen.